Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Engineer Talks. Today, we're actually joined by Zachary. And as always, Darren here, co-hosting with me today. Zachary uh, is a man that wears many hats. So he's just going to be talking to us a little bit about you know his experience and more importantly, the ability to manage your blind spots. That's going to be the main topic that we're focusing on today. So Zachary, just a little bit, I mean, give us a quick introduction. Like, what do you do? You know, what company do you work for? Just tell us a little bit about your history and your current position right now. Yeah, sure. No problem. So uh, my name is Zachary Abubakar. Currently, I work for Ernst & Young. Um, It's a big four accounting firm. I work there as an international tax consultant. Um, Additionally, I, I would say I wear many hats in the sense that I also have a bunch of other projects that I do. So uh, I'm an avid options trader. Uh, I do a lot, do a lot of stock investing, uh, mentorship, as well as business consulting for startups. So those would be some of the things that I do, uh, and then public speaking engagements on the side. But usually those are pro bono, just because I like giving back in that respect. How did you get into doing or getting into the tax space in the first place, or wanting to work for EY? Right, because I think. I guess for me personally, I didn't really know, or my parents were like, hey, you should do something in STEM, Mm -hmm. right? For you, did you have a lot of influence from your parents or maybe your family coming uh, growing up, or was it something that you took on your own? I'd say that's a great question. So for me, I was influenced heavily by my dad, um, because initially when I had graduated high school, just like most other college students, I mean, other high school graduates, I was very kind of confused as to what path and route I wanted to take. Um, And when I enrolled in my school, actually, and and I go to Brew College, um, I enrolled as a finance student, right? And then my dad was like, finance is not a profession because you don't get any certification, which I disagree with, uh, given the fact that a lot of money can be made and there is a lot of specialty that can be done within that field. But nonetheless, I was kind of naive at the time. So I said, okay, why not? So with respect to accounting, um, I'd switched my major second semester freshman year. And then a friend of mine who I used to work with at the Student Recruiter Center for our school recommended that I attend some event with them. So this event was called Bring Your Buddy. And EY is really big on branding. So they spelled buddy as Um, (laughs) B-U-D-D-E-Y. Yeah, so we have our little, we have our little like corniness to us. But um, essentially, I went to that event, met the recruiter. The recruiter spoke to me about a variety of different programs, um, Emerging Leaders Program being one of them. So I signed up, and then a few weeks later, I was shipped off to Washington, D.C., and this is when I actually learned heavily about EY, because at the time, I didn't really know what Big Four was. I didn't really know anything about accounting or the fact that accounting was bigger than just taxes, right? Because just like how many people had that misconception, I was one of those individuals as well. Um, Through that, I met an individual. He was a partner. He's a partner still at the firm, and um, he's a partner of the International Tax Services Practice. So when we met, I was talking to him about my dream and ambition to be a lawyer at some point. Um, And he said, well, here at the firm, we do have a law group, but that law group is primarily, um, we don't do any law for U.S. purposes. It's more so externally um, to like international countries and things of that nature. But he said, what you can do that's very close to it is international tax services. So I said, well, why not? I'll I'll, I'll be happy to kind of give it a shot. So the following summer, I came and interned, did the rotational um, internship. So I did a little bit of international tax, a little bit of advisory, a little bit of audit, um, and then that pivoted to another international tax internship. And then my recent one was in Australia, and now I'm working full-time in the group. 
I had a quick question. So you said, go for it because I like I I have these misconceptions about accounting too. So you said. <laughs> So what is, can you explain to me or to Darren or to just like everyone listening? Like, so what are like all the different avenues or aspects? Not every single one, but like for me, yeah. Accounting, I'm just thinking like, okay, taxes and (laughs) so what, I mean, what is like, if you don't mind like going a little bit more into depth into like the different fields within accounting? No, yeah, that's a very fair question. So I would say accounting as an industry as a whole has so many different um, avenues that you could kind of take. However, for Big Four specifically, since that's what I have the most experience with, we kind of segmented into three main groups, audit, advisory, and tax. So with audit, you're basically focusing on auditing uh, public companies, um, basically ensuring that whatever is going to be posted to the 10K um, statement is all valid and true with respect to um, giving reasonable assurance to those who are relying on that financial information. Tax, on the other hand, we have so many different avenues within tax. I mean, tax is extremely a broad, a broad space. Personally, I'm in international tax, but there's also private client services where you're helping out individuals who are high net worth. Um, you could be doing state and local tax and not necessarily on the accounting side, but on the consulting side where you're actually working with states in terms of um, suggesting uh, how you can bring new business to the state with respect to some of the credits and incentives that people could have. So sometimes people might be aware of like opportunity zones, right? And um, that's where real estate kind of comes in with respect to looking for a particular area in which you're bringing revenue to that particular community in exchange for getting credits against your taxes at the end of the year, Um, affordable housing, things of that nature. So all those are some things that kind of do pop up. On the advisory side, that's primarily consulting. Um, with EY specifically, we divide it into three different groups, uh, business advisory, risk advisory, and tech advisory. Um, risk advisory is more so internal auditing. So rather than auditing the company from an independent perspective, here you're now working with the company um, and ensuring that their processes are all set so that when they do get audited, they can mitigate some of the risks that they potentially might have or things that might um, rise as potential issues. Um, business advisory is more so general consulting, but don't think of like a McKenzie or uh, an Accenture or anything like that. It's more so more uh, small, smaller scale. Um, and then tech advisory is more so on the tech implementation. But that's kind of like how I would say we could, if I were to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I don't even know McKenzie <laughs> consulting. I know, I know Accenture. I know they're they're really mm-hmm. big on like, I think tech tech consulting right, right? Adventure, i think yeah. that's one of their niches yep so but you guys like you said you're smaller scale so that's really interesting because i'm like austin to me accounting yeah. <laughs> even my friends who are in accounting she she we actually had a a guest she was our very first guest a friend of ours kelsey she worked at live nation as she studied accounting as she worked as a staff accountant for them so it was it's a lot different how she describes it compared to you because I think Big Four has their own field or industry or like way of doing things right compared to other companies. So that's really cool. So I wanted to ask, you mentioned this in the beginning mm-hmm. too. You're you wear a lot of hats, right. right? Aside from working at EY, you do a lot of public speaking. You sorry about that, guys. We got cut off really quick. But like I mentioned, Zachary, yeah. I wanted to ask you, how did you get into mentorships and being a consultant for startups? That's something that 
not a lot of people get into, right? I think mm-hmm. for the most part, when I see people who work at, let's say, established companies such as the big four, mm-hmm. that's pretty much everything they got going on just because of the workload and how busy it can take or how much time it can take up in their lives, right? Right. Um, so with respect to mentorship, I'll start with that first. Um, mentorship kind of began because I was at this point in time in college whereby, just like many other college students, I was trying to figure out what my purpose was um, and trying to understand what value am I supposed to bring to the world. I was kind of very lost in that respect because I was working a bunch of different campus jobs, but ultimately I wasn't really feeling fulfilled. Um, and it's interesting because like, I feel a lot of us do experience that whole lack of fulfillment, but we don't necessarily know how to express it. So then I figured, well, let me try to give back in any way that I can. And so I recollected a movie that I had watched in seventh grade. Um, It was called Pay It Forward. I'm not sure if you ever saw it, but I highly recommend you guys check it out. Um, And with that movie, it was basically this kid who was trying to change the world one positive action at a time um eventually he winds Uh up dying at the end but it was a great it was a great movie so through that at that time i had just finished the leadership program that i had spoken to you guys about with ui so at this point i wasn't even necessarily interning um and i realized that there's a lot of students at our school who was trying to break in to ey um and for them i noticed that their biggest issue was the lack of being able to network effectively because with big four, unlike typical um, smaller or mid-sized accounting firm, we don't necessarily expect you to come in with this grandeur amount of knowledge. It's more so coming in with a positive attitude, a strong desire to learn. And then the technicals is something that we're able to teach you. Um, but if you're not necessarily able to kind of showcase how you're a cultural fit, then that sometimes could um, act as a barrier for, for entry. So coaching people through that process was was my um, was my first stint at it. Um, additionally, I had also joined a bunch of different mentorship organizations within our school. So one that I did was a first year seminar. So I taught uh, a class of incoming freshmen, basically about the different resources that we had uh, at Baruch or whatever, and and we would do this on a weekly basis. Through that, I realized that I had more of a structured approach to mentorship. So I figured, well, how can I relate a little bit more to my mentees? So that's when I decided to kind of go a little bit offhand, stop focusing on these formalized mentorship settings. It is more so focused on like individual connections. So going to the EY Emerging Leaders Program, I had went through a bunch of a series of different um, leadership workshops. And I took some of those skill sets and I implemented it to some of the conversations I started having with some of my mentees. So some of these topics kind of aligned from networking etiquette, dining etiquette, personal branding establishing executive presence. Um, and through that, I noticed that it resonated with a lot of people. And then through from, from there, then I started uh, purchasing a bunch of different uh, coaching books. So I bought The Coaching Habit, Expect to Win, um, To Sell as Human, The Power of Habit. Um, and through reading all these uh, great self-help books, eventually I kind of felt that I had some value to kind of share because I felt that these were easy to implement, but people weren't necessarily sure how to go about it. And that's where I guess that idea of mentorship kind of came in. So would you say being a mentor helped Mm -hmm. you actually, because what you're trying to do is help people become better versions of themselves. You're Mm -hmm. trying to help your mentees become better versions of yourself, Mm -hmm. but you need to make sure that you're the best version or at least the best version of yourself so that you can help others become theirs. Right. So 
how did you go about personally like because not everyone like it's hard to like not everyone's born a leader some people have a natural talent for it like you said you took you purchased some books you read Mm -hmm. some self-help like self-improvement like literature right Right. what other things can you do to determine what other areas you need to work on or was there like a certain method or technique that you that you you know you employ to discover what you're good at what you're bad at that's an excellent question so i would say how I went about it is I also have a lot of mentors myself um, and I would do periodic check-ins with all these mentors and kind of talking to them about some of the encounters I had with some of my mentees in which I felt ill-equipped at that time. And I would ask them for their guidance and I would ask them for their perspective in how they thought I should handle some of these particular situations. And through that, I was able to kind of get better. Then the other element was the book side of it, right? Because I feel like you can get the practical, but sometimes when you understand the theory, the theory gives you an opportunity to flex how you interact with some of your mentees. And then one book that I would say was extremely influential to me, and if you haven't read it, I definitely recommend um, reading it, is Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Um, And we'll start with why he talks about the golden circle. And so the golden circle essentially is three circles. The outermost circle is your what? The um, middle uh, circle is your how, and the innermost circle is your why. And what Simon Sinek argues is that many people can say what they do. Many people can also articulate how they do what they do. But many people often struggle in, in, in expressing why they do what they do. And so once I understood that aspect, I was like, this is beautiful, right? Because this is proving that a lot of people are generally speaking, unhappy with where they are in life. And it's not because what they're doing is bad or how they're doing it is ineffective, but they don't necessarily know why, right? Like if someone were to ask you, um, like, why are you an engineer? Or like, why are you um, a pilot, you know, or a dancer, whatever the case may be. For some people, they might have like that true, genuine story, but others might just say, well, it's just for cash or it's just something that I'm good at and I'm doing it. But just because you're doing something doesn't necessarily mean you love it. And because you don't love it, it's toxic to you in a way because it's in in a way it's kind of draining energy. Like you're still kind of getting, it's kind of like a means to an end, but ultimately that fulfillment is not being drawn in. And so through that, once I started thinking um, from that perspective, I started doing a lot more self-reflecting. I started trying to become a lot more self-aware. And then through meditation, I was able to get some sort of clarity. And that's how the mentorship I thought uh, began to blossom essentially. Doesn't he have a, a a YouTube? I think I watched a YouTube video on the what, why, and how. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't so much as to like why you're working. It was what people buy into. So he was talking mm-hmm. about companies. And then a right. lot of times companies sell or like they sell the what. Right. But when, when people really buy into your company's why, mm-hmm. that's when you have a loyal customer. Is that the same that's idea? Right. Or? No, oh, okay. that, that's exactly the same idea. I just kind of took it and individualized it. But yes, when he was when he was referencing it, he was referring to companies in particular. Wow. Okay, that's amazing. I need to rewatch that. <laughs> yeah, I actually watched a part of the TED Talk. I think that's what you were referring to, Austin. Because, oh yeah, it was yeah. a TED Talk. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's it's interesting to to hear you mention that. Zachary, just because our one of our future guests, he's we're actually talking about finding your why. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that's it's, right. Uh-huh. It's, it's a little, it's a little interesting to see <laughs> this kind of come full circle. But I'm happy that you mentioned it because I think the why definitely is an important part, and to to understand reasonings behind it, right? Because, like you said, we spend energy in the things that we do, and 
again, if what we do is a means to an end, we should really think about whether or not what we do and how we do the things that we do make us happy or have a sense of fulfillment, right? Agreed. So I think piggybacking or circling back to what Austin said and managing your your strengths and your weaknesses, we, I want to get into the topic, right? Blind spots. And mm-hmm. you alluded to this a little bit in the beginning, but I want to ask you, how do you go about determining your blind spots or what what is a blind spot in the first place? Maybe to some people, it's very straightforward and they understand what it is, but to some others, it might not be as evident. Right. So I would say blind spots kind of erupt from your childhood. It erupts from your experiences, your customs, your values, your culture. Um, Essentially, it's inherent biases that you already have or these preconceived notions that you've developed and you don't necessarily know where you, you know, attain some of these things kind of where these kind of where these things spiraled from. So, for example, like um, talking about a sensitive issue, right? So like Black Lives Matter movement, right? So for a lot of people, they weren't necessarily... um, for lack of better words, woke to the issue in a sense <laughs> that um, they weren't aware that police brutality and the linkage to African-Americans, there was like a direct correlation because they were just trying to generalize the idea that police brutality happens to every other race. But when you then look at the statistics, it kind of shows otherwise, right? Um, or saying things along the lines of, well, if this person didn't dress this way, then they would not have been arrested. Right. Mm. Or or when it comes to women, for example, in terms of saying that if they, you know, didn't dress, if if they dress this way, then something kind of deserves to happen to them. Or when you have your your uh, uh, like a friend come in, like a male friend come into the house and you have your daughter and then you say, like, you know, you tell her to go and change and things like that. Like things like that shouldn't necessarily happen, but they do. Um, because at the end of the day, right, like it's, it's her, it's her house too. So she shouldn't necessarily be required to go and change with someone coming in. If anything, the guy should just be more, um, he he should just be able to contain whatever desires or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, so when you reverse the idea and you start challenging what the status quo is, I feel like that's how you're able to kind of get to a difference. And so in terms of how I went about blind spots, I took advantage of like looking deep within myself and understanding what are some of the viewpoints that I have? Why do I have these viewpoints? So like in my case, I'm an African-American Muslim um, black man, right? And so there's so many different um, avenues that comes with that in terms of your viewpoints on on life, right? Like you have, like when you're literally like five to seven years old, you're already learning about how to deal with cops. Um, you're learning about like how to ensure that you know when they ask you to show some id that you're not reaching back so aggressively and then get shot as a result um being mindful that if you get stopped to keep your hands up at all times like these are some things that you kind of just have to like be aware of right and like this is just from from my story the other element could be like being muslim and being uh being scared of the fact that you might apply for a job and they might see your last name and decide to kind of turn you down um and so when you're aware of all these different things and you start making certain adjustments, you can now then be able to relate to people who have similar stories and then be able to kind of give them some guidance or some sense of clarity in terms of how they can also maneuver through the system. Because a lot, because America kind of promotes this idea of American dream in which you could, as long as you work hard and you're smart and you're intelligent, you're, you're good to go. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. Yeah, I think we have different starting points, right, to mm-hmm. sort of, simplify 
right? Uh, mm-hmm. And I to speak to your comment about the Black Lives Matter, that was something that I I think I was actually ignorant about as well, right? right? When we talk about police brutality, you're right about the whole statistics thing. Like to me, mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily have a fear when, let's say, the police told me to bring up my ID or something like that, mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about reaching out or reaching mm-hmm. back, right? I don't mm-hmm. have these thoughts going across my head saying like, hey, I have to be careful. I have to be a little bit more aware of what I'm doing because the the whole aspect of it comes from, you know, your upbringing, the culture and everything like that, right? So sure. I think you you touched on a lot of a lot of eye-opening things to say the least when it comes to managing blind spots because it's seeing seeing someone else's perspectives from their shoes, right? Right. And I think once you get to that point where you understand and you have the conversations to really get to know them and you know how they were raised or how they grew up because i agree with you when when we're young we absorb mm-hmm. a lot of information right and that becomes inherent to us that becomes second nature to us yes and it's automatic so and i think that's a, that's the hardest thing that people struggle with right like mm-hmm. knowing that there's something that you're lacking in the first place because before like let's say before austin and i started this podcast or started talking to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds I didn't think there's a lot of things I had to work on, right? Or <laughs> a lot of a lot of things that I told myself like, hey, maybe I should reevaluate, right? Or something like that. So I think I think you brought up a lot of good points there. Thank you. And like I when you brought up like that whole cop conversation, like I'm thinking back to when I was five, six, seven. That never crossed my mind. Like I've had the privilege of not having to worry about that. So it is really good to get your perspective. Like you said, you're Muslim. You come from African American, like I'm Asian American, but my last name is Beck. I've never had that issue with people seeing my resume and thinking, um, you know, like just just like disregarding my qualifications just based on my last name. So that's it's it's insane to me that that's something you worried about at such a young age. Like Mm -hmm. I've. I I can't even like I can't even wrap my mind around it. Like five to seven, what is that? Like kindergarten? What or our first grade? I don't even know what. What? Yeah, yeah, I think I think around that. Yeah, that's first or third grade. For okay, yeah, I mean that's that's crazy to me. So I think that right there is a good way for me to analyze my spots, right? So it's not just like I guess professional blind spots, but I guess it's just what blind spots as a person, right? As like a human being, that's what you're referring to as well, right? Right. Yeah, and again, with respect to the blind spots, another thing that I did to educate myself was to talk to a variety of different people. Because ultimately, if you're going to be educated about things like blind spots, you kind of can't just rely on a textbook or a scholarly study. I feel if you do, to an extent, you're going to have a a misconstrued bias, even if it is a very great scholarly article. Because there are people in your life that could literally tell you what their day-to-day looks like, right? Like I have friends and, and, and family within the LGBTQ community who have daily struggles. And the best way to understand it is not for me to go and watch a YouTube video, but for me to actually have a conversation with them or individuals who are from the Muslim community and have been criticized of being somehow connected to the 9-11 you know, incident that they have literally zero connection to. I also went to an Iranian school and we constantly had cops come over and FBI come over to the school thinking that our school um, was tied and connected to terrorism, in which it wasn't. 
the only issue is that the school was founded uh, was, was being funded by an Iranian organization, right? So like things like that, like the, the, the best way I feel like to educate yourself is to have these conversations and make sure that you're comfortable with having these uncomfortable conversations. Because unless you begin to have it, you're not going to allow yourself the opportunity to truly understand what the struggle looks like and how you can also help in effectively being an ally, not just by voice, but also by action. Yeah, it's one thing reading about something, but it's mm-hmm. another thing putting in practice. Like the, the example that comes to my mind immediately is like you could watch 20 hours on how to shoot a free throw, but if you never go out on a court and actually start practicing, you're never going to be good at shooting that free throw. So, Perfect yeah, analogy. I mean, yeah. So, right. Like, and that's what I feel like I'm doing right now. I'm learning, but it's, it's a whole nother thing to put these into action so that I can actually work on these blind spots, you know? So I, I saw, like, I went through your LinkedIn and I noticed you're a huge advocate of mentorships, like yeah. being a mentee, being a mentor, mm-hmm. paying it forward, right? Like yeah. you even mentioned that movie you watched, pay it forward. Right. So would you say it was more helpful to be a mentor in managing your blind spots or was it more helpful to actually be like a mentee? Hmm. That's a fair point. Um, I would say being a mentor rather than being a mentee, just because the perspective it allowed me to have is being in a position of privilege in a way. And I feel like when you're in a position of privilege, sometimes it gives you an ability to truly understand what underprivileged looks like. If you choose to challenge yourself to see it that way. So for example, like I used to do mock interviews. Well, I still do mock interviews, but on a behavioral interview side. Um, and when you're conducting a mock interview, essentially you're now the interviewer, right? And you have the interviewee in front of you. And now as you're asking these questions to these interviewees, you now have to think as an interviewer, what, are, what, what am I looking for in a candidate? What is a turnoff? What am I attracted to? What do I want to come into this fictional company that I'm now um, interviewing this candidate for? And through that perspective, I was able to then start to kind of like channel what it meant to be a mentor and seeing that I might have had some biases on my own. And then sometimes discussing it in a candid conversation with my mentees and kind of getting the perspective on it, right? Discussing some difficult uh, stereotypes that some people might have had or whatever and asking them about the truthfulness of it. And always making sure that when I asked these questions, I wasn't asking these questions as a form of being offensive, but more so as a form of being curious, And then through that, I was able to kind of learn a lot more. I felt that in my capacity as being a mentee, I was kind of always in the traditional sense, just trying to grab grab as much knowledge and insight as I could from my mentors, but not necessarily challenging their viewpoints or their views. And so because of that reason, I wouldn't say blind spots was was learned through that um, type of dynamic. And did you find it hard sometimes to talk to your mentees early on before a I say, I guess, lack of a better way, like a better relationship was established. Did you find it hard sometimes to bring up the topic in the first place? Because mm-hmm. I think it, it ties into making an assumption that they want to talk about this, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe they're not comfortable yet, but how did you go about building up the relationship or getting to the point where you found the right place and time to ask them and to have these conversations? So initially before what I would do before I decided to mentor anybody is I would schedule a coffee with them or like a lunch or something of that nature. And we would just sit down and talk. And the idea wasn't to even talk about what they wanted from mentorship. It was just more so just talk to me about who you are. What do you want for yourself? Where do you see yourself in the future? And 
not like where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years, but literally where do you see yourself tomorrow, right? Um, and then through that, we would get in some very deep, candid conversations in which they'd talk to me about their families, their upbringing. Sometimes they might even say that, honestly, I hate finance, but my dad is telling me that finance is the only thing I'm good to do, or I hate law, but that's what my parents are pushing me to do and things of that nature. And so kind of like listening to that stories. And then eventually, once I kind of felt that there was this level of connection of trust, that's when the conversations around blind spots would kind of come in. So I always made sure that before bringing it up, there was kind of this mutual relationship in which I had um, shared some of my story. And likewise, now they were feeling comfortable. But I always made sure that I took the first step to share first. Because I felt that sometimes in a way to establish trust, you have to be willing to trust someone else with a part of yourself. Um, Because we can't necessarily always expect someone to be willing to give if we're not necessarily willing willing to give as well. Yeah, I, I think you, you brought up a good point. It's like when I have these conversations and when I reflect and I mm-hmm. think about the things that I share, it's not like I came into the conversation thinking, hey, I'm going to share my life story with this person <laughs> right now. Or, hey, I'm going to exactly. you know, talk about my childhood, Yeah. right? So you, 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 you talk about sharing first. And I think that's something that really opens the door, right? And mm-hmm. opens the conversation to right. really get the person that you're talking to, to open up as well. So I really like your your method and how you go about it. Because Thank in you. my own experience too, yeah, you're welcome. And in my own experience, that's where I've actually had the pleasure of sharing as well. And I can speak to what you're saying when you say a mentor of mine opened up first, they shared their story and it made me more comfortable and willing to, willing to give them a part of what I've been going through or maybe some struggles that I have going on right now. Right. And part of that I also learned through class because I was a communication studies minor um, and our professor always talked about the idea of self-disclosure. And he said that self-disclosure is very important. And literally the first day of class, that's what he was doing. He's like, so this is a perfect example of what self-disclosure looks like. And then once I kind of took that idea, I was like, you know what, let me run with it and actually implement it. And I found it to be truly successful. So very happy that I implemented that. Yeah. And this is like a question we've asked quite a few of the people on our podcast who are in like a more executive position or they're looking over people like a mentor, (laughs) uh, supervisor, manager, just any head or lead. Right. Right. And we always talk about how you want to have a balance between being a leader, but also showing that you have these weaknesses and blind spots because overall it makes you, you know, it makes you better as a person. It makes you better as a leader. (laughs) So uh, and we always, I like to ask people this, like one tip on that, but what's one way that you can show your team or you can show your mentees that you don't know everything without compromising your authority or without compromising your expertise? So I can't actually talk about it from like a work perspective because from a work right. perspective, I'm relatively new, but I can mm-hmm. speak about it in terms of some of the clubs and orgs I was on campus. That's perfect. Yeah. Um, and in that sense, I would say it comes with being candid and literally saying, hey, I don't need, I, I don't know everything. Um, in order for this organization or for this team to effectively work, we all need to work together. This is an interdependent relationship. This is not you being dependent on my final say-so. Um, and letting them know literally individually how they're all able to kind of contribute to the team. I feel like once you get personal, it helps, right? Like, for example, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on, on which airline, but I think on JetBlue, like one of the C, I think it's JetBlue, that particular airline, the uh, CEO travels periodically on the, um, 
on the plane to kind of just see the customer service of the the flight assistants and see the functionality of like how they work and, and stuff like that like that 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 dynamic and I feel that sometimes when you get to the field um, and show people that you're not like big enough to to not necessarily do certain tasks or things of that nature that's how you could bridge that gap because sometimes I feel the idea of authority puts us in a position in which we feel that we're above someone and once that thought persists it puts you in a position where you start to create a divide. Right. And now you start to create a barrier between you and your subordinates or in, and you and your fellow teammates and colleagues. And so to avoid that, you have to show that all of you essentially are at a ground level. Another thing that I learned in communications is how you actually sit at the business table actually showcases who has a position of authority. It also suggests who you are as a leader. And so rather than sit at the center, maybe sit in the middle or maybe sit at like the corner. Right. So like by doing that, you're kind of still within the, 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 the great playing field. Another thing that my dad recommended to me was rather than be the first person to say something or be the person who leads the meeting, have everyone else lead and you sit down and then maybe have the final say, or maybe you kind of chime in at little bits and pieces just so that this idea of authority now doesn't point directly back to you, but it looks like a collective effort, you know? And so through that, that I think it was able to foster a lot of collaborative, uh, a lot of collaboration and in the different team dynamics that I was in. I think that's a really good way you put that because especially when you, when you do establish that mentee to mentor relationship, right? Mm -hmm. The ment on the mentee side, you generally feel that the mentor or whoever at the time, right, or that you think is your, I guess, for lack of a better word, your superior, your mentor, right? right? They are the ones who are directing the conversations, or they're the ones who are directing what moves you're going to make, or how you're going to do certain things. But mm-hmm. when you step aside, or you step down, and you tell them like, hey, we're it's not a hierarchy, necessarily, or like a vertical hierarchy, right? There's not there's no boss and employee relationship, but it's more so, like you said, it's collective, we're on the same playing field and everything Mm -hmm. is leveled out. Right. Right. And when we get to that point, Mm -hmm. I think that's what they really, that's what people really, really love that Mm -hmm. the men that the mentor or the leader that they're looking up to gives them the space or gives them the opportunity to speak what's on their mind. And that in itself fosters such a really great environment to be in. And that's, I think, where a lot of the leaders that I look up to, especially, that's mm-hmm. what they talk about, right? Um, so, it, it and something I want to mention, too, is that I, I'm a big advocate of Jeff Weiner, who was the the CEO of LinkedIn, and he yes. talks a lot about compassion, right? right? Something I always, always talk about because I really love his his ideology of it. As a leader, we want to be compassionate. And to do that and to really understand what compassion is all about within a team setting we have to understand and walk a mile in someone else's shoes and a lot of what you said just now ties into that right i mean we talked about earlier in the conversation too about getting getting to know someone else's perspectives and it all ties into great leadership attributes right so i think managing blind spots and just Getting to the whole realm of self-awareness yes. in itself, I think that's really that's something that we all should periodically reflect on, right? Because I think in some way, shape, or form, we're always trying to become better versions of ourselves, or we're always trying to mentor, or we're always trying to give advice, right? 
And of course, we want to be able to do that in in good sense. But sometimes we have to do some self-reflection first to see whether or not we're in a good position or the people that we're talking to need these kinds of advice in the first place. Agreed. Agreed. So I think, I mean, we touched on a lot of different uh, a lot of different topics here, right? When we talk about blind spots, it branches out into so many different things. Right. So for for you, and I think this wraps up some of the, most of the questions that we have, but what is one piece of advice, Zachary, that you have? Because I think when we talk about blind spots, we talk about being well-rounded, right? So what do you have to say for our listeners? And most of them are college students and I think Gen Z, right, Austin? So a lot of us are in that stage where we don't really know what we're what we want to do or we're in that space where man my dad wants me to do accounting i don't really want to do accounting or he wants to right. want me to be a doctor i don't want to be a doctor <laughs> but i don't know what i want to do right um so it's a lot of self doubt right. and um i just wanted to ask you and and again you talked about a lot of things but what's one thing that you can leave our listeners with i would say um be intellectually curious, but also be willing to challenge viewpoints that you've well established and you believe to be true. Because one thing that I've realized is that when it comes to the idea of reality, reality is a construct that we all individually have through our unique experiences. Reality is not necessarily what we see, it's more so what we experience through our own eyes. And so with that being said, understand that the only shoes that you know how to fit is the one that you've walked. And in order for you to be be able to truly understand someone else's shoes, you have to have conversations with them. Um, Because even if you were to just experience a day in their life or just walk some of the past that they've experienced, you're still not going to get the full picture. And so with that being said, challenge yourself to have these conversations, regardless of how uncomfortable they may seem. Um, have conversations with people who also fostered some of these viewpoints within your mind to let you believe that some of these thoughts that you've had that you've now realized were wrong, um, that was being, you know, taught as, as though it was right to challenge them. Like, for example, like I might have, uh, I have some relatives that believe that like education is the only way to go about doing certain things. Or like I published a book in high school and, you know, I was told, uh, before graduating, don't focus on writing your book, just like focus on your education and focus on stuff like that. Like you're not ready to, to publish a book and, and things of that nature, but I, I still went ahead and did it. And then later on, I came back to the school and spoke to them about pursuing their dreams and mentioned that I didn't have a college degree. I didn't even have a high school degree, but yet I was able to publish a book. And I might go to college for something outside of English literature, but I still was able to pursue my passion at the time within poetry. So this is something that you all should feel empowered to be able to do as well through my story. Um, and I was happy that I was able to talk to a, a decent crowd in that respect. So I would say in this respect, like try to attend more public speaking engagements, listen as much as you can, ask questions. Um, and truly, when you say you're going to be there for someone, really be there and be fully mentally present. Don't just say, how are you? And then move aside to whatever it is you really want to talk about. Because through those stories is really how you can begin to grow as a person. Once you're able to not just have sympathy for others, but also be able to develop some sense of a deep empathy, not necessarily a true empathy, right? Because that's very difficult to, to reach, but a deep empathy 
by being able to kind of compare your experiences. I think that was really well put. I mean, you, <laughs> you. you, you talk about a lot of things that even I think I'm working on right now, right? right. Sympathy versus empathy. Right. Like you mentioned, walk, if we walk in someone's shoes for a day, for a week, we can sympathize is that the right is that the correct term like we can understand right but not yeah. fully not fully wrap our heads around what it's like doing what we are experiencing what we just learned about on a day-to-day basis absolutely right? so i think this ties in really well with managing blind spots because as leaders or as you know aspiring leaders and go-getters right we have to be able to look into our blind spots self-reflect be aware have the conversations like you said, right? So mm-hmm. um, thank you again, Zachary, for Perfect. all of your information that you gave us. I think a lot of what you said is applicable to you know, me and Austin and as well as our listeners. So I appreciate the time that you had to talk to us and really share your own experiences because this in itself was a little bit of us walking in your shoes, in a sense, <laughs> right? Like we learned more about you and I think that's something that is really meaningful for us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So without further ado, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. All right, Zachary. Thanks for being on. Take care. Thank you so much, Zach. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engineer Talks. Hopefully you were able to take away some valuable information and apply it to your own professional goals. We would appreciate it if you guys can give us a follow and tune into more of our episodes to come. You can find us on major streaming platforms such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So check us out in there and we'll see you on the next one.